in this psalm that we're looking at tonight, Psalm 7, that David is going through a very difficult time. If God does not move, David is convinced he will die. If God does not move, it's all over for David. And yet, David will end up where we're going to uh, look at in, in a moment as we, as we read God's Word. But David is going to close out this psalm by saying, I will give thanks to the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. And that, beloved is how you have faith in dark times. Psalm chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And in honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. A Shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord, my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. Or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to my friend, or have plundered him uh, who without cause was my adversary, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples encompass you and over them return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head and his violence will descend upon his own pate. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word. And Lord, we just thank you that as David, your servant, went through uh, this very difficult time in his life, that you caused him to write it down to show us and to teach us how it is that you would have us to have faith in difficult times. God, as you illumine the heart and mind of David... When you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, we ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds this evening as well. God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart, and we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer 
in and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, all of us to a certain extent have some degree of control over our emotions. Some of us are better at it than others. Uh, I never will forget forget years ago, uh, Angie and I were talking to a realtor. We were thinking about buying a house and 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 we were sitting across the desk from from this this guy with a realty company, and he finally looked over at Angie and he said, "Can you tell me what's going on in your husband's mind? I can't read him. I I, I can't tell. You know, I can't tell what he's thinking. I can't tell whether he's at. You know, I I was just giving him my very best poker face, not not showing any any sign that I was interested in what he was saying or that I was interested in his piece of junk house that he was trying to sell us for way. It wasn't a piece of junk, but you understand where I'm where I'm coming from with that. If if you're going to get a good deal, you got to make them think, well, this thing's a piece of junk. I can't imagine anybody'd want that thing. Some of us don't have that kind of control, you know, that, that they go to the car lot and, and, and they're on the, the test drive with, the, with the, 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 the salesman or the salesperson and, and they're just gushing about this car and they say, oh, I love everything about it. And, and, and what the, the, the salesperson is hearing is ka-ching, 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 because he knows. He's not going to have to come down very much on that car because, if at all, uh, because the, the, they already like it so much. The point that I'm trying to make is that sometimes it's very difficult for us to maintain control over our feelings. For some of us, we can control ourselves for a long time. For others, we can't control ourselves at all. But all of us have a point at which our emotions are aroused. David had reached that point in this psalm. He's at his breaking point. He's had enough, okay? I mean, he's had enough. Up to this, as we've looked at these other psalms, as we're going through uh, the psaltery, we've seen that David has been talking in generalities. Tonight, he calls a guy out by name, okay? He calls a specific guy out by name. I mean, I don't know much about Cush, but can you imagine if Cush went to heaven, and we meet him when we go there, and we go, you know that guy Psalm 7 is about. What was up with that, Cush? Okay. David has reached his point. His angst cannot get any deeper. As we said at the beginning, it is a shagayon of David. And a Shagayon is, is not a song that was originally composed for congregational use. This was a song that David composed to sing to God. And, and a Shagayon is something that is sung with intensity, with intense emotion. Almost like a lament. Almost, or also, as it was also in, in Psalm 5. David was being falsely accused, and the stakes were high. Cush the Benjamite was seeking to tear him apart, and David had reached his breaking point. He cried out to God to intervene on his behalf. Now, I've told you everything we know about Cush. We don't know who he was. This is the only place in Scripture that he is mentioned. 
The one detail we have is that he was a Benjamite. Now, that ought to tell us something. Because y'all remember how David was received when he went into the territory of Benjamin. That Shammai came out and, 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 and began giving David a hard time. Why would he do that? What tribe did Saul come from? Benjamin. Saul was a Benjamite. And so the, the, the tribe of Benjamin took a great deal of pride that, that their, uh, someone from their tribe was the first king of Israel. And in their mind, David had had him killed, even though that wasn't the truth. But we know that David is under attack by Cush. Now, here's the, I mean, we can surmise some of what Cush was saying against him, but we don't know everything. We don't know what kind of smack Cush was talking against David, what he was saying uh, that David had done or David had not done. But when David was under attack from this man, all he could trust was God. Every other support system that he had was gone, but he needed no other support but God. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shows us how to deal with slander against us. We are to take refuge in God. Here's the hard one. We are to search our heart to see if we are guilty of offending others. We are to ask God to execute true justice and judgment. We must ask God to put an end to wickedness and to make the righteous secure. And through it all, we must bear strong witness to the Lord because He is the righteous and fair judge. And we rest in the fact that evil reaps bad results. And we praise God's name. We praise Him because of His righteousness. Verses 1 and 2. We don't always know when someone is slandering us. We don't always know what, what's going on. And that it makes it very difficult for us to prepare ourselves or to defend ourselves against the attacks that are coming unknown. And so David is hearing what this man is saying about him, and it hurts. And there's nothing that he can do to stop it. And so the only place that he could take refuge from the slander of Cush was in the Lord. Only God could shelter him from Cush's slanderous attacks. David's reputation, his future in his life, were held captive to Cush's accusations. He cried out to God for God to deliver him from his persecutors. And the word he uses here is the same word David uses in 1 Samuel 17, 35. He said, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. You know what David's talking about here? He's talking about a lion that had taken one of his lambs. And David went out after him. And he, he didn't wait for the lion to kill the lamb. 
He went out, he took the initiative and went out after that lamb. And so the word that he's using in this verse sets up uh, the image that he's going to use in the verses that follow. David compared his situation to that of a captured animal. A helpless lamb caught in the clutches of a hungry lion. And soon the lion would finish toying with him, take him in his mouth, rip him to pieces, and devour him. There was nobody to help or to rescue David. If God did not save him, he was going to be destroyed. Do you see that in verses 1 and 2? Do you see what David is saying in verses 1 and 2? He says, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, or he will tear my soul like a lion dragging me away while there is none to deliver. David's situation was serious. In desperation, he cried out to God. We all know what it's like to be in a situation where nobody can help us and all seems hopeless. Have you ever found yourself in one of those situations, being slandered and falsely accused, as it was with David, suffering a physical affliction, a deadly disease or a life-threatening injury, facing financial bondage or a looming financial loss, dealing with a work situation, where others are against us and setting us up for failure. David believed that there would be great consequences if he were not delivered from these enemies. That gave him urgency in prayer. God sometimes allows difficult situations to come into our life so that they will awaken this urgency in us. Spurgeon once said, and you know, Spurgeon is one of those guys that a lot of preachers... We quote him a lot. I mean, his nickname uh, in, in theological circles is the Prince of Preachers. The Prince of Preachers. Uh, and, and, and there are entire books that are aimed at pastors that just contain Spurgeon's quotes. Of course, Spurgeon's work was so many years ago that everything that he wrote and everything that he said is in the public domain and it's easy to get. But Spurgeon was a pastor, a very godly and successful pastor in, in, in England uh, a couple of centuries ago. And, and God did a great work through him, and that's why he's quoted so often. But Spurgeon said, It will be well for us here to remember that this is a description of the danger to which the psalmist was exposed from slanderous tongues. Verily, this is not an overdrawn picture. For the wounds of a sword will heal, but the wounds of the tongue cut deeper than the flesh and are not soon cured. We must never forget that there is a place of refuge in Almighty God. That there is a safe place for every desperate soul. This is the message that we see throughout the psalm. From the beginning of the Psalter to the end of the Psalter, all of the psalmists are telling us that God is our refuge, that God is our shield, that we can turn to Him, that we can trust Him, that when there is no other source of protection, God covers us. There is no such thing as a helpless believer or a hopeless situation. 
God is always near and he always hears when we cry out to him. We can turn to him resting confidently in his perfect plan for us. Verses 3 through 5. This is the hard part of this psalm. This is the hard part of this psalm. Okay. You all know that we talk to people and we say that when you're pointing at somebody, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Okay. David understands that if I'm going to ask God to do all of this in the life of Cush, I better make sure that I myself am standing on firm ground. Yahweh, if I have done this, if I cause this, is what David is saying. If there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to my friend or have plundered him who without cause was my adversary, this, we believe, is some of the things that, that Cush was saying against David. Now, I want you to look at the very strong curse that David calls upon himself if he's guilty. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Now, David... is aware of this strong oath that he takes. And so in his heart, he believes that he is innocent, that he has not done these things that are mentioned in verses 3 and 4, or he wouldn't have called down this curse upon himself. David's use of, of ifs in this verse are not the half-hearted ifs that we see in this world. You know, you know what I'm saying? Somebody will come to us and they'll say, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if I hurt you. Well, listen, we wouldn't be in this mess if you hadn't done it, right? We wouldn't be in this situation if you hadn't hurt me, if you hadn't offended me, if you hadn't done something against me. And so that's not a sincere apology. Sincere apologies own up to the wrong done and repent of it. And although he's convinced of his innocence, David acknowledges the possibility that he is at fault and he's accepting responsibility if he is. Verse 5 ends with Selah. It's good for us to pause when we ask God to uncover any unconfessed sin in our lives. Amen. You know what we generally do? Uh, God, if there's any unconfessed sin in my life, would you just show it to me? Dear Lord, I tell you what, uh, we immediately move on to something else. We don't give God time to, to bring that unconfessed sin into our life. And David says that we need to go to God and say, God, if I had some part in this, show it to me. Show it to me and I will repent. Verses 6 through 8. 
David was convinced that he was right. I mean, we've seen that uh, in these verses. We saw it in verse 5 and this strong curse that he called down upon himself if he was wrong. And you don't call that kind of curse down on yourself if you think you're wrong, if you, if you think there's any possibility that you're wrong. And so David, because he believes that he's right, believes that God should be angry on his behalf. Just like David would not touch God's anointed. Do you not see that over and over again as Saul was pursuing David? And, and several times Saul was close enough to David that David could have killed him. He was close enough to David that David was able to take his sword and cut the corner of Saul's robe off. David could just as easily have killed him. But over and over, David said, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. In fact, what did David have done to the guy that brought news back to him that Saul and Jonathan had been killed and that the guy that was telling him is the one that had helped uh, finish Saul off because Saul had asked him to? He had him put to death. Why? Because he raised his hand against God's anointed. And David says they are raising, Cush is raising his hand against your anointed, O God. Arise in your anger and lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. You have said in your word what you will do to those that raise up against your anointed. Verse 7 tells us that no one is excluded from God's authority and from accountability to Him. None of us stands righteous before God, and none of us uh, have any claim to righteousness before God apart from the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. David was not saying that he was completely righteous. He was simply stating that he had committed no sin against his enemies, that he had not started this. When we're falsely accused and persecuted, we must firmly believe that the judge of all of the earth will do right in our case. We also, listen, beloved. You know, it, it, it's easy. It's easy for us to pray for God to hurt someone as badly as they have hurt us. But what we ought to be doing is praying that God would bring pain and, and calamity into their lives to bring them to the point of repentance. Because that's the goal here. The goal is to bring people into repentance. The point of church discipline should never be to exclude. It uses exclusion as a tool when it's necessary to try to bring someone back in. But we should always desire the repentance of those who sin against us. Verses 9 and 10. 
When we're in the midst of a crisis, we should always remember who God is and what He does. That's David's emphasis in these verses. He's saying, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. Stop evil altogether in this world, God. Establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. David knew. David knew that he was powerless to fend off the fiery darts that Cush was flinging at him. And he rested in the unwavering confidence that God would be his defense or his shield. Notice in verse 9 that David moves from declaring who God is to describing what God does. God protects those whose hearts are upright. God protects those whose hearts are right with Him. That must be our confidence when we are unjustly accused and attacked. We have a divine right to call on God to act justly against all wickedness. David could boldly invoke God because he was confident in his uprightness. He could ask God to execute justice and judgment because he was innocent of sinning against his enemies. Once again, note the important truth of this psalm. David had opened his heart to a thorough examination by God. When we walk in a straight line, When we truly follow God's commands, we are empowered to live with a holy boldness that only comes from being rightly rightly related to God and to others. When we obey God, we have nothing to fear. Verses 11 through 13. David has given to us a picture of, of God in these verses. First, he tells us that God is a righteous judge. Every day, the judge of the universe is on his bench. He never compromises his attitude toward wickedness. His demeanor toward evil never changes. And he is consistently, uh, he has consistent hatred against the wicked. He never cools down or becomes lax. He never takes a day off from his duty. Understand this about the attitude of God as the judge of the universe. He does not want to execute or destroy evildoers. He desires that they would repent of their sin, that they would turn and come to Him in repentance and embrace the God life as their life. But in the event that they don't, verse 12, If a man does not repent, God stands ready. His weapons are fully prepared and he is ready to strike all those who refuse to repent of their sin. When God finally delivers justice upon this earth, his judgment will be fierce and final. The only thing that holds back the immediate judgment of God right now is the undeserved mercy of God giving to the sinner one last chance for an unknown period of time 
to repent of their sin. But that mercy should not be presumed upon. The wrath of God may be slow, but it is always sure. This passage prophetically points to the Lord Jesus Christ who will come again to this earth. And when he returns to the earth, he won't be coming meek and mild. He will be coming to execute judgment. Verses 14 through 16. Let's just assume that something happens to me. I have an automobile accident. And a person in another vehicle is killed. I'm tried. I'm convicted. And I'm sentenced to a period of time in prison. Can I go to God and ask God to forgive me of that sin of killing another person? Yes, I can. Will God forgive me of killing that person? Yes, he will. But will he remove the consequences of my sin? He will not. He will not. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying that God will reach into our lives, but we uh, may also have to face the consequences of sin in this life. We must grasp the differences between God's judgment in verses 11 through 13 and natural retribution in verses 14 through 16. Repentance of sin may bring deliverance from God's condemnation, but it does not assure release from sin's consequences. If you conceive evil, you will give birth to evil. Verse 17. This psalm began on a desperate low note. O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. But it ends on a high note of praise. And David's praise is an exclamation of faith. Why would I say that? God hadn't delivered David from Cush yet. God hadn't delivered David from the slanderous accusations that are being made against him. David has not yet been delivered from his enemies, but he praised God for what he would do. Beloved, we may not always be vindicated of every evil against us in this life. But when God finally judges all people, He will set the record straight. We must trust God for justice against those who sin against us. And we must have sufficient faith to rest in Him. David magnified God's righteous character. And when he focused on God's unfailing faithfulness to him... He was lifted from captivity to his enemies. His soul was set free from his persecutors long before his reputation was restored. His prayer did not immediately change his circumstances, but his prayer changed him. And that, beloved, is how we achieve and how we live in faith in dark times. David could praise 
because he took his cause to God and he left it there. He trusted God to do what was right. And that, beloved, is how we have faith in dark times.